0: Welcome to Sports Weekly
1: with Ayaz Meman. Hello and welcome to Sports Weekly. I'm your host, Ayaz Meman. This week's edition is Total Cricket. We've got news and stories from New Zealand playing Bangladesh at home, Sri Lanka versus West Indies in the Caribbean, South Africa who are hosting Pakistan, and of course, then we've got the Indian Premier League which is going to start in India. But let me first start with New Zealand versus Bangladesh and Bangladesh are having a terrible, traumatic time in New Zealand. They lost the T20 series. They've lost the ODI series. It's been a 6-0 sweep for New Zealand. So, the ODI series was played earlier than it was followed by the T20 series. But there was no change to the results. You know, it looks to me that Bangladesh have just looked completely undercooked this season. We've had some teams performing fantastically well in India, for instance. New Zealand, again, doing extremely well. The other teams, Sri Lanka, West Indies, Pakistan, Australia, England, they've had their good days and their bad days. But where Bangladesh is concerned, they've had just bad days. It could be said that they've missed Shakibul Hassan for most of the time. The Premier All-Rounder who's made a comeback after a one-year suspension. But that can't be the only reason. It can't also be said that, you know, this is an overseas series and most good teams struggle in New Zealand and Bangladesh does not play too much international cricket. I don't think that holds any currency now. In international cricket, you have to be good whether you're playing at home or you're playing overseas. And in fact, if you're not playing well overseas, you're damaging your future prospects. Because then, host countries, the ICC does not really encourage, you know, unless you're from the big three, unless you're India, England and Australia, which every country wants to host or play against, you end up struggling for existence, if I might so say that. So, as the Bangladesh T20 captain Mahmudullah said, that his team now just needs to start winning and winning everything to regain confidence. I'm sure that the players must be very dejected because nobody likes to lose. I think somewhere also the issue is about how well the domestic structure is functioning in Bangladesh as it should be in every cricket country. If the domestic structure isn't good enough, isn't robust enough, then it the standard of cricket gets very badly exposed. Now, we've seen that happen historically in the case of Zimbabwe, for instance. At one point in time, Zimbabwe were a competitive side. We've seen it happen in the West Indies, more starkly. Once upon a time, the greatest team in the world, and then they hit bad times to such an extent that they just couldn't play at home, overseas, anywhere. We've seen that happen with Sri Lanka, a very good team, right till about 5-6 years ago, but now, not really doing well. I mean, they did draw the test series, which I'm going to talk about, in the, in the Caribbean. But Sri Lanka not looking like the team they were under Rana Tunga, Jaya and, you know, players of those eras. And then, of course, there's also Pakistan and South Africa. South Africa struggling uh, to a large extent because their players are opting for T20 leagues. Pakistan, again, victim of not having a strong domestic structure. I know I'm giving a lot of gyan and uh, maybe in a sweeping sort of way. But it is true. And if you ask any Pakistani player, I had a chat with Wasim Akram a couple of months back when Pakistan were playing the Pakistan Super League, uh, Super Series. And he said, look, our domestic structure isn't just good enough to produce the kind of players that India is producing. The South African system is pretty much the same. The talent pool is not so strong and so on. So, apart from Bangladesh, let's move on to what happened. Sri Lanka versus West Indies. 0-0 Zero zero draw in the two test series. Now, you might say that it's a fair result given that neither side has lo- lost. What I found interesting in this, in this test series was in the first test match, Sri Lanka struggled for most of the match for the first three, three and a half days. And then they fought back and actually put West Indies under the microscope, you know, trying to save the match. And in the second test match, it was the other way around. The West Indies put Sri Lanka under pressure to survive the last day. 79 overs with Sri Lanka they did in the second test match and escaped with a draw. So, in a sense, a good result for both teams. No defeat for Lanka, who had struggled otherwise in the limited overs contest. But West Indies, I might wonder if they'll be a little disappointed because you would think that a team which beat Bangladesh recently so handsomely and so convincingly would have got the better of the Shilamka team. It didn't happen. Dimuth Karunaratne, 75, Oshada, Fernando, 66, not out. These were the heroes in Sri Lanka surviving second test match. For the West Indies, Craig, Bredthwaite, new captain, 126 and 85 in the second test match. I think it's a sign that here's somebody who's willing to take on the responsibility as a batsman, not just as a captain. And uh, say, hey, if you put pressure on me, I can deliver. But overall, I think that... West Indies might feel a little dejected that they could win this series because they are on the comeback trail. Having beaten Bangladesh 2-0 in Bangladesh, a lot more was expected of them. The series which has really caught my attention, and actually, everybody in the, in the cricket universe is Pakistan versus South Africa, the ODI series. So far, it's the scoreline stands 1-1. It's been a punch and a counterpunch kind of affair. Pakistan winning the first match narrowly, just by seven runs. And then... Getting upset by South Africa in the next match. South Africa winning by 17 runs. But those are ball stats. Really, the drama was uh, how Pakistan, after looking like they would win the first match in a cakewalk with, with 103 from Babar Azam. Fantastic century by the Pakistan captain. Chasing a modest score. It, not even the 300-run score. First, South Africa being rescued, being rescued by Rassi Vander Dusen, who made 126. Babar Azam making 103. Big partnership with Imamul Haq, who made 70. And then, when it looked like they might be home in a cakewalk, wickets started tumbling to Norjai, who's uh, just as a reminder, will be playing for Delhi Capitals. And then, suddenly, Pakistan was struggling to reach home. The match was decided on the last ball of the 50th over. And the last over, Pakistan needed only three runs and just about managed to get there. So, winning by three wickets, but really, the, the match going down to the wire. And then in the second match, it was the other way around. South Africa batting first again, notching up a 341 mammoth score. 341. Just when everybody was going to, uh, was kind of writing off uh, South Africa, being led by Bevuma, their new captain. But 341, chasing that. Pakistan were 50-odd for 4, losing even Babar Azam, their mainstay. And then, Fakhar Zama plays one of the great one day innings that has been seen in fact the highest score by any batsman in batting second in the run chase 193 and he was actually run out in very controversial circumstances uh, when Quinton Decock, the south african wicketkeeper he actually pointed towards a fielder who was not fielding the ball to divert the attention of Fakur Zama, who was going for his second run and then a direct hit from the fielder who actually fielded the ball Ran out for Khardzama. Now, there's nothing in the law. The umpire said, hey, you know, that's, I mean, you know, a decision that was given out. But questions were raised about whether Quinton Ecock was playing the game within the spirit of the game. Now, I know this seems to many a very rhetorical kind of question. Uh, A lot of people will argue that winning is everything in sport. It is. Both these premises are not unfounded. But you would expect there is, you know, I mean, the way I see it is, why have something like the spirit of cricket if it is not enforceable? And I'm not talking about the mankaded thing, which is no longer mankaded, but a batsman backing up too far, run the, you know, the non-striker and getting run out by the bowler, which R. Ashwin has justified uh, doing and has actually made a strong case. Because that doesn't… In the rule, that is clearly out. It was never being or it was hardly being employed because, you know, there was a notion about spirit of cricket which… People agreed with or didn't agree with. In this case, you are actually trying to hoodwink. You're hoodwinking the batsman in believing that the ball is being fielded by some fielder who is not actually fielding the ball. Is being fielded by another, another guy on the field. So, I think there is a very big difference in the way running the non-striker out for backing up too far and what Quinton De Kock did. I think there's something that the ICC needs to do uh, to... Bring this into the ambit of fair play and spirit of cricket rather than just saying, you know, it's up to the umpires to decide. We've seen, frankly, how pussy-footed the umpires can be. To salinimers, you know, especially in dealing with crisis situations like these.
0: It's time for the IPL
2: preview with Joy Bhattacharya.
1: So that's my kind of entry point into... The Indian Premier League which starts later this week and I am continuing my conversation with Joy Bhattacharya. Absolutely delighted to have him on our show in the past few weeks. We've discussed various franchises with him, how, how they will fare, what he sees the prospects are and we are now down to the last two teams which is last year's or last season's finalists, Delhi Capitals and Mumbai Indians. So we're going to discuss the prospects of these two teams as well as I'm going to ask Joy his picks for players he fancies in this season's tournament. This week, we're going to discuss uh, the finalists of the last IPL, Delhi Capitals and Mumbai Indians, With Joy Bhattacharya. Let's see what his take is for both these teams. There's been a lot of action for Delhi Capitals where the auction is concerned. Uh, Mumbai Indians, of course, didn't have to do too many changes in their team, though they did select a few new players. Joy, Delhi Capitals, the big story there, Steve Smith being uh, procured or acquired by Ricky Ponting and and the franchise. Do you make sense of that? Or do you think it's just for no other reason except an Aussie
0: liking another Aussie? No, I I think in that way, you know, Ponting is a very smart man. He would have said it's a useful guy to pick up somebody like a Steve Smith because Steve Smith gives them some value, which again, he can allow his Indian hitters to go up front and really go and bash it around. He was not getting as much value of his West Indian middle-order batsman that he thought he would get all the time. So Steve Smith is one of the guys who can slot in very easily. He can bat at three, he can bat at five, he can bat at six. You may say that uh, he may not want to come given the kind of price he's at. I think Steve Smith has a point to prove. And I think if any coach in the IPL could talk to him and say that, you know what, you need to make a point out here. And Steve Smith's not a fool. If he walks away, you know, disgruntled from this IPL, He's going to be, reach a situation where, you know, teams are not going to be anxious to pick him the next time around. And he knows that he wants to play the IPL for another four, or five years and he'd really make a killing of it. So, I expect Steve Smith to come out here and I expect Steve Smith to perform whenever he's given a chance. There's no doubt in my head about it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a very clever buy by Ricky Ponting. Also, very exciting, you know, young players. Pant, Prithvi, Shaw, Shreyas, Ayer and of course, then there's R. Ashwin in the, in the form of his
0: life. Do you think that he's the guy to watch out for? I definitely think. I feel that he, this is one of the teams to beat. I'll be very surprised if they don't make the finals. They are a team who is excellently well compiled together, put away. They've got everything in place. They have all the attack. What they have, which no other team has, is they have probably the most best young core of Indian batsmen that any team has. I mean, that... Combination of that that you have, and they probably have the best combination of Indian spinners as well. I mean, a combination where Amit Mishra can't play because he's still the one of the you know Amit Mishra people like Amit Mishra and uh, Imran Tahir will be playing the IPL far after you and I retire Ayaz. Uh, yes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. These... they just need to keep dyeing their hair. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <And laughs> so be they, yeah, which we have unfortunately <laughs> forgotten to do. But yeah. That's what you say. You have a core like that. You know, Aksar Patel, Ashwin, and Amit Mishra, three of the canniest spinners you can think about. Genuine pace with Rabada and Nokia. And you have Avesh Khan, who I think is pretty, pretty quick. And Avesh Khan and Ishan Sharma, along with that. I love this team. I think the Delhi capitalist team is a beautifully compiled team. What the only thing it doesn't have going for it is. Uh, somebody who's a captain who can turn around and say, you know, guys, I've won this before and I'll take you to the championship again. Shriyas has to grow into that role. And I think that's why Ricky Ponting's job is very important. Very, very important. Because he's got a young team. It's not it's not like Rohit Sharma turning around and said, dude, I have won five IPL titles. Come and beat that, you know.
1: I was going to uh, talk about that, that Shriyas Ayer could take inspiration from uh, Rohit Sharma. Uh, he's won titles multiple times, but there was the first time for him. But let's move to Mumbai Indians, the, the title holders. Gosh, I mean, when you look at this lineup, Rohit Sharma, Aishan Kishan, Bumrah, Pollard, Hardik, Quinton De
0: Kock, Bolt, Jimmy Nisham, do you see any weakness in this team? Only real weakness I thought they have, they've already plugged, which is I thought that, you know, Rahul Chair is essential to them, but if Chair gets injured, there's Chair and Jayant Yadav, essentially, you know, do they need another Indian spinner? Because, you know, uh, I think. Kunal Pandya has not been that great with the ball that he used to be before. I think he now darts it in. he doesn't even try and spin it. But they've been very smart. They've gone and bought Piyush Chawla and you'll think, what is Piyush going to do there? First set of matches, they're going to play in Chennai. Piyush Chawla will be terrific there. Piyush Chawla is one of the smartest bowlers. He's the second highest Indian wicket-taker in the IPL after Amit Mishra. He's a perfect buy. He's very happy. He knows that even if he doesn't play matches, he's mature enough to understand his place. And he's an outstanding contributor. So, picks like that are what make Mumbai so, so dangerous. They've just made themselves that much little bit stronger. And they've they've insulated themselves against, you know, Rahul Chahar's form or lack of it with that one other crucial veteran player out there. I mean, otherwise the batting, they've got everything. They're already packed. And the influence of Mumbai Indians on the Indian team is being felt. You know,
1: Ishan Kishan, Shuli Prakash Yadav, Rohit Sharma, of course, Hardik Pandya. And so on. Let's now, you know, I must pick your brains for this. And these are very snappy one-word answers if you can. Quick five. Who do you rate as the best batting team in this tournament?
0: I would say the Delhi Capitals. The Delhi Capitals. And the best bowling team? The best bowling team for me would have to be Mumbai. It's a close one, but I would say between Kolkata and Mumbai, I'd give it to Mumbai. Now, this
1: is a bit of a quirky question, but I must ask. Yes, I know these were the finalists, but which is your most balanced
0: team for this season? Which looks like the most balanced team? <laughs> every year I think it's the sunrises Hyderabad who turn out to be the most balanced team for me
1: yeah but I mean you know you expect the balanced teams to win so I think Mumbai also yeah. will be
0: you know yeah the, Mumbai is Mumbai is the Mumbai spread of talent is, is, that is so is the point. fantastic I don't think of balance I think of superpower. they're like a super power three <laughs> tournament favourites come on Joy stick your neck out come on it has to be Mumbai Indians I mean there's no doubt <laughs> in my head about that and the surprise team team which could surprise you know Mumbai or Delhi or any of the others I think my surprise team is Punjab. Because I think I really like their stuff. I really like their setup. I think they could make a run for this this year. Fantastic, Joy. Always a delight
1: to speak to you. And I thank you again uh, for being part of the show. It's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you and getting your inputs, your knowledge, your understanding of all these teams. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Aya. A pleasure being here. We move on now to discussing in more detail or other aspects of the IPL. And I've got with me, as always, Mr. Fantastic.
2: Hello, hello, hello. Before we move on to our team selections, uh, Ayaz, I actually have a few questions for you. You know, There's a couple of teams with some new captains. And we've got uh, Rishabh Pant, who will be a first-time captain on such a big stage, who will be doing it for the Delhi Capitals. And Sanju Samson, who will be doing it for the Rajasthan Royals. What is your take on that? Two young captains, two guys who are kind of on different paths making it here. What do you think?
1: Well, I think I think it's a very interesting question because I find, you know, everybody's been talking about Dhoni and Kohli and, you know, K.L. Rahul and Rohit Sharma. Obviously, I mean, these are the big guns, big stars. But Rishabh Pant and Sanju Samson, one is 25, 26, that's Sanju Samson. Uh, and then Rishabh Pant only 23. Being made captain now, remember, and let me talk talk about Rishabh Pant first over here. So, Rishabh Pant has enjoyed, you know, a glorious season. He's fought his way back into the team in all formats and not just fought his way back. He's just turned the attention of the cricket world on him for the manner in which he's played, for the sheer, you know, panache that he's displayed and played those match-winning knocks which have helped India beat Australia and Australia, England at home, you know, the one-day series, the T20 series. Now, what is going to happen is, as it is, the attention of the world was focused on them. kya now, what more can he do? Uh, this guy, Pant, you know, who is just so unorthodox and of a mindset which is like, if I may say, it's like a buccaneering mindset. You know, nothing is impossible. And now he is saddled with the captaincy because Shreyas Ayer, the Delhi Capitals regular captain, has injured himself and he may be out of the IPL entirely. So Delhi Capitals have Ajinkya Rahane, one former captain in the team, former captain for Rajasthan Royals. Also another former captain of Rajasthan Royals, Steve Smith, who's also in the team. Then they've got R. Ashwin, who was captain Punjab Kings earlier. So he's got three former captains alongside in the same team. So he has to manage these guys because it's not easy. There is a hierarchy. The captain is the boss of the ship or the captain of the ship. But there's also some, you know, unspoken or unwritten hierarchy that guys who played for 10 years, 12 years, they might think they know more than the captain or they might be domineering or overwhelming the captain. So, these are issues that can crop up. Now, the the thing is that Pant will be under a lot of pressure as a match-winning batsman and then, of course, also to manage the team. This is really a very important stage in any young player's life. When you're first made captain or when you first become a captain, how do you fare? How do you cope with the pressure? Does it affect your batting? How is your interpersonal relationship with the rest of the team, especially the seniors? And we've seen that how, for instance, how Dhoni managed it when he became captain of India. And he did it extremely successfully. But there are enough examples of guys who couldn't handle captaincy. Even the great Sachin Tendulkar, I mean, India captaincy didn't work out for him. So, he went back to being a player and saying, let me just focus on batting and not on the captaincy. So… It's not mandatory that a great player can make a great captain or even enjoy the captaincy. Likewise for Sanju Samson. Now, he's got Joss Butler, Ben Stokes, Jofra Archer. Guys who have got far more international experience than him. And also, he's lost a mainstay of the team like a Steve Smith, a batting mainstay. How does he cope? In a way, he's also a very, you know, he's a smash hit kind of a batsman like Pant. You know, he likes to play his strokes. Now, will he curb himself? Will he become more... Cautious, will he become more conscious of what he has to do? And therefore, will it affect his batting? And if it affects his batting, will that also affect his captaincy? And so on and so forth. That's why I think when you talk of a Dhoni or a Kohli or Rohit and all these guys, these are, you know, they are proven captains in the sense that Kohli has not won a title in the IPL. But captaincy has never affected his batting. He's always been the mainstay for uh, Royal Challengers Bangalore. Dhoni and Rohit and the others, I don't need to mention. I mean, they've done well. In both capacities. So, I think the focus, in my opinion, will be a lot on how Pant and Sanju Samson fare. If they fare well, it could, especially in Pant's case, it could be a big step ahead for a similar role going ahead in Indian cricket at the international level. Now, that's a big jump that could happen in his career. In Sanju Samson's case, of course, he has to first ensure that he gets a place regularly in Indian cricket to think along those lines. But the IPL is very competitive. The heat is always on players all players, and even more on the captain. So, I would be very interested to see how Pant and Sanju Samson
2: fare. Who do you think is more likely uh, to actually win the title?
1: You know, one has to lean towards Delhi Capitals. Though Shreya Sayer isn't there, so it's a big blow to them. But otherwise, they're a formidable team, you know. Prithvi Shaw, Shikhar Dhawan, Pant himself, Steve Smith, Ajinkya Rani. The bowling attack is fabulous. Uh, So, I I think it's a very strong team. And remember, last year, they were finalists. You know, I think… their little experience and perhaps nervousness showed in the final against Mumbai. Uh, otherwise, they were a very exciting team and looked like, you know, at least in fits and bursts in the last season, they looked like they were worthy of being the title winner. So, I, I think... And this is where Punt's role becomes very important as a captain. That's what I meant. There will be so much attention on him as a captain himself. The advantage he has also is that he's got Vicky Ponting coach who's, you know... We don't even need to discuss in detail what winning meant to him and therefore what he'll be already imparting to his his players,
2: how they should prepare themselves, both in terms of technical skills as well as in mindset. Perfect. There's one more topic that I really want to understand a little bit more about and that's to do with this whole soft signal business. So the ICC is saying that the soft signal continues but the BCC is telling the IPL teams that they're not going to use the soft signal. So, what's the soft signal here from the BCCI to the ICC?
1: <laughs> I think it's a very hard signal. It's not a soft signal from the BCCI to the ICC. Remember, the, the technical committee is headed by Anil Kumble. you know. And so, when they met recently, there's been so much criticism and bro-aha-aha aha, about the soft signal. Especially after what happened in one of the limited overs matches when Surya Prakash Yadav was given out, caught in the deep. 60 yards from the umpire. The umpire gave a soft signal that he was out. The replays, countless replays were, you know, inconclusive. Whether the ball had actually touched the ground or not, a lot of people believed it had. Because the signal was inconclusive, but the soft signal was given by the umpire as out, the TV umpire had to declare Surya Prakash Yadav out. And, you know, Virat Kohli didn't hide his displeasure. In fact, he said that at such times, the umpire should actually be candid and say, I don't know. And I, I think that's fair. What the ICC is saying, and I think there are layers there, there are nuances here. I think what the ICC could have specified and said, within this much distance, yes, the umpire is the, in the line of vision or it's, in, it's within that sight. You can give a soft signal, but beyond that, you can't. What the ICC has not made any specific mention of the soft signal in this recent meeting. What it has done is, it has reinforced the role of the umpire's decision and tweaked the DRS rule. So, what the DRS, for instance, now says is, earlier was that when the ball hits, you know, it should hit, it will measure 50% from the top of the stump. That the ball should be, if it is more than 50%, then it's out. If it is less than 50%, it is not out, according to the umpire's call. Now, it is taken from the top of the bale. So, the bowler is getting a 1.38-inch benefit to get a decision in his favour because the 50%, you know, now extends from the top of the bale downwards. So, that's a big change that has come about. But in the kind of tug of war between the ICC and the BCCI, the BCCI has used the leeway it has as the ICC says for domestic tournaments, you can modify rules as you want, provided they don't affect the basic laws of the game. So, the BCCI is saying, the IPL is a domestic tournament. We have decided that the soft signal we will not use in the IPL, the umpire soft signal. In a way, it is saying we are only doing to domestic cricket what we are permitted to do or allowed to do. But in the the wider context, don't miss what it is actually telling the ICC. You know, it's saying, buzz off. We don't like the soft signal stuff. So you better think about it again. That's the way I see it.
2: The whole stumps business with uh, the DRS is a very unique one as well now, isn't it? You mentioned about how it is changing. I've just got a question. If a cricket ball bowled at anything faster than 50 kilometers an hour is going to even brush a stump, isn't the base going to fly? I mean, throughout the history of cricket, there's probably been ten occasions when the ball has hit the stumps and the bail hasn't fallen so why complicate something as simple as you know ball hitting stumps bail falls batsman out end of story
1: uh, there is a lobby there is a school of thought which says hey you know if the bail falls even if it hits by 5% of the ball then that you know batsman is out so why is the this whole business of soft signal and hard signal coming around i think the answer lies in the in what the technology providers are saying is the margin of error. The technology is not foolproof. It's not 100%. It's not perfect. And therefore, this is the allowance given to kind of allowance for technology, if I might put it that way. So, this leads also to an interesting area of conflict. So, players like Kohli and so many others are saying, you know, what is this business of soft signal or not? Get away and done with. But it also then means limiting the use of technology or disregarding technology. But a lot of the players are also happy with the technology. Remember, I'll just kind of take you back in time. When DRS first came, the first time it was used was India versus or Hawkeye. When first came, it was used India versus Sri Lanka in 2008 in that series. Some of the decisions went against India. Know Dhoni was the captain. Tindulkar, I remember one, one innings he was batting and he took a review and it went against him. Thereafter, India opposed it tooth and nail, DRS, while the rest of the cricket world, you know, kind of embraced it. And then gradually, one found even on the informally on the Indian circuit, the players were more and more inclined towards accepting technology, but the BCCI wasn't because the players felt. Human error say a technology margin of error is better. Finally, it got around to a situation where all the players are agreeing now that technology error is better than human error. But now the soft signal thing is also now added a new dimension. Is the soft signal better than what technology is providing or is the soft signal complicating matters? In my opinion, in some instances, it complicates matters Needlessly, like in the Surya Prakash Yadav catch, which I mentioned. In some cases, it might be helpful. And now with that enhanced margin, 1.38, for instance, the LBW thing, it might improve on decision-making. So, you know, as in all cases of technology, we have to keep assessing what happens, assess the data,
2: and keep moving ahead. Well... With a lot of these answers already with us, it's now officially time for you to start thinking about what your fantasy teams are going to look like through the IPL. Given how many players are falling sick, not making it, coming later, it's always going to be a nightmare. But here's a version of the fantasy game where you can pick your 11 now. It's called the season-long fantasy version. You can play it on the official IPL website. Uh, It's a game where you pick 11 players from across all of the teams. But you can only make limited transfers. That's about two per game after the first game. Only four overseas players allowed and that's also going to be a bit limiting. So what you really want to do is to build up a group of nine to ten strong players, not use more than one transfer a match unless you absolutely have to. So it's a way of saying that, hey, here are the top eight, nine, ten players from across the IPL who will more than make up through their performances rather than not. And given the budget constraint, it's always going to be a challenge. So why don't you give that version a shot? Just so you know, here's my 11. Starts with Rishabh Pant as the captain. Liam Livingston because he's one of the replacement candidates through the other matches. Owen Morgan, he's the only hope KKR really have. Surya Kumar Yadav, there is much expected of him and I expect more of him as well. Ben Stokes, I mean he's practically Indian by this time. He's well acclimatized and all. Washington Sundar, very handy in this format, also most affordable from most of the other RCB players. Ravindra Jadeja, the mandatory CSK Yellow representation, we'll just hope that he hits form soon, otherwise, well, he's going to get replaced. Ravichandra Nashwin, I mean, it's his year, isn't it? Might as well just have him here and account for what he's most definitely going to do, which is really, really make a big difference to this year's IPL. Then you've got Lockie Ferguson. Now he's listed as a bowler, but really he's a batsman as well. So he's a good bet to have lower down the order. Ravi Bishno, you know, you have to have Punjab Kings represented at some point. And he has been called out as a performer to watch out by Joy Bhattacharya on one of our preview shows. So I do expect big things of him if for nothing else, just so that I can make some points. And Bhuvneshwar Kumar for Hyderabad. He is the man in form. Remember, there are players like Rohit Sharma, Jaspreet Bumrah, Ishan Kishan and many others who you think should make the 11 and you have your two subs per game to do so. Use them, bring them in and see how they respond to conditions on the day. Now, before we end the episode, I want to bring Ayaz in again and ask him two things. Ayaz, what are some of the things that players really need to watch out for, given the fact that we're back in the midst of a COVID wave.
1: Well, clearly, I think they need to manage themselves. You know, I think they need to kind of be seized of the issue. You know, and I, that is a mild word I'm actually using. They need to be really uh, forcing, focusing intently, perhaps with as much you know attention as they would on their cricket, uh, which is to make sure that they don't, in some way, you know, relax or become lax and... Uh, increase the risk factor in getting COVID and that could spell disaster. We know what happened in the Pakistan Super League when a couple of players tested positive and then, you know, one team was suspended for a day then brought back and finally, the whole tournament had to be called off because several of the overseas players just packed up and left. We don't want that scenario. Already, what has happened is we've got players testing positive and they've been quarantined. I think the second surge or the wave which has come, so galloping wave, and also not sparing younger people. So I think that what needs to be done is for players, franchise owners, etc., to be ultra cautious, not just cautious, and take zero risk. I mean, this we've had. Even for instance, let let me just take your mind back. England versus West Indies when they were playing in England last year, Jofra Archer went from one match to another. He was to be in the biosecure bubble. He just went home and they punished him by not playing him in the second test match. So, over here, the danger is far greater. The biosecure bubbles, as we know, because of the pandemic and the stage at which it is now. We don't have home and away matches. It's now a kind of a caravan which is going to roam around or move around into different cities. Mumbai already is facing a serious crisis of uh, of the pandemic Whether all the matches are possible here or not. Yes, they are possible. But only if... You know, every day there's an, uh, there's an appeal made to citizens of this country, especially in urban areas. Be on your guard. Don't drop your guard. Be away. Keep social distancing. Do this, do that. I think it's true also for players. Yes, you're in the biosecure bubble. Make sure you limit yourself to that. It's hard. It's tough. But it's better that sport is being played than not being played. The onus is really on the players, the franchise owners. And, of course, the BCCI, which is conducting these tournaments. It's a serious challenge. If they can pull it off, it'll be something fantastic. And I think that the players need to be really
2: sincere and earnest in ensuring its success. Awesome. Thank you for that. And my last question to you is, I want you to predict the winners of the first four games of this year's IPL. All right. Mumbai versus RCB, the opening game. I think I'll go with Mumbai. All right. CSK versus Delhi Capitals. CSK are going to
1: fail this season. They've had some of, some big changes. They haven't really plumped for, for young players. Uh, by far, Delhi is the younger team. I have a lot of time and uh, respect for what Chennai Super Kings have done in the past. Not in the last season, but you know if you look at the IPL history. But I think Delhi Capitals is the team to watch out for in this tournament like they were in the last season too. So, the CSK versus Delhi Capitals. I'm looking at Delhi
2: Capitals, you know, a little more intently. Mm-hmm. The Sunrisers, Hyderabad and KKR will be the third game after that. Again, I think Sunrisers, Hyderabad look a very
1: solid team. KKR also very, you know, interesting combination. But like we saw last season, uh, which is not too long back, they just couldn't, they struggled very badly to get the composition playing side right. Right now, also, they'll be having some issues of, you know, amongst the foreign players, who to take, who, who to keep out. I mean, for instance, if you're going to play Sunil Narayan, then you have to keep out Shakibul Hassan, who's a you know formidable force. And both are all-rounders. So, these are difficult choices for KKR to make. I think Sunrisers, Hyderabad, like uh, Delhi Capitals, I think they look a more sorted-out team in the composition. You know, they've got a fair number of Indian players who would make it into the playing level. So, they don't have a problem there. Right? From Bhuvaneshwar to Khalil Ahmed and so on. So, I think Sunrisers, Hyderabad... Uh, over KKR, I would go
2: with Sunrise and Zimbabwe. And the last match that I want you to predict for is the Rajasthan Royals versus the newly named Punjab Kings. This is going to be a interesting match
1: because uh, in a way, both teams have kind of reconstructed their sides. Yes, Josh Butler, Stokes and Sanju Samson are constant. Jofra Ach not playing the first match or the first two weeks, maybe. Punjab have had major changes, in fact. You know, not having Glenn Maxwell, for instance, a big change. I think Punjab's strength is... Mayanka Garwal and Kail Rahul at the top, of course. And then we'll have to wait and see how guys like Jai Richardson and Meredith, who had a very good big bash league season, how they how quickly they adjust and adapt to the to the Indian conditions. Now Chris Gale, is he does he still have fire in his belly? Does he still is his body stiff or is it supple enough for one more season? These are the issues. I think Rajasthan Royals new captain, Sanju Samson, he'll be wanting to prove a point. A lot depends on how Ben Stokes and Butler play, of course which is not to discount guys like Rahul Tevatiya who's you know, knocking on the doors of Indian cricket for a while now. It's a tough call to
2: make, but I'll, I'll go with uh, Punjab Kings. Wow, okay. That went against everything I expected. But that should be interesting. And let's catch up on these predictions next week. Till then, thank you very much. Thanks, thanks, Mr. Fantastic. Always a pleasure speaking to you too. That's all for me this week. We'll
1: catch up again in the next episode of Sports Weekly with me, Ayaz Memon.